Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We're going to be in three areas of scripture as we continue to study God's word. Hebrews chapter 5 is where we're going to kick it off, even though I know we're in Hebrews 7, but we've got a little bit of review to do. Hebrews chapter 5, Genesis chapter 14, all the way back to the book of the beginning, and then Deuteronomy chapter 28. And if you did not know that Deuteronomy existed, it is a book in the Bible, okay? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Isaiah, Hezekiah, Jeremiah. Can I tell you that one time I, sold, I started my uh, 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 class of Patmos and I said, okay, everyone turn to Hezekiah chapter 3 verse 2. And they're all like looking through their Bibles. And I just let it go for like five minutes. There is no Hezekiah, Okay. <laughs> He's King Hezekiah. There's no book Hezekiah in the Bible. Now, if for those of you that were looking for Hezekiah, <laughs> Hebrews chapter 5, Genesis 14, Deuteronomy 28. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Lord, I'm so thankful for this church. You're just so good to us. And I'm grateful that you have opened a great and effective door, but we know there are many adversaries. So as we choose to take down the gates of hell, would you deliver us from the evil one? And now as we study your word, would you give us the ability by the power of your spirit to grow and to be more like you? In Jesus' name. The writer of Hebrews has a job to do. And he is writing to a church that is facing the pressures of a culture that's rejected God. He's writing to a church that have problems within their own families because they're leaving Judaism and following Jesus, the man the Jews crucified. He's writing a church that is facing persecution from the government. These Christians, under these problems and pressures and persecutions, some of them were walking away from Christ. And the writer has done an incredible job to encourage them. Don't drift away. Don't depart from the faith. He recognizes that some of them were struggling with their faith and the pressure of their Jewish families, telling them, I can't believe that you're leaving Judaism to follow after Christ. And some of us know that pain within the course of our own families. Some of them struggling so much that they've departed from the faith. So what he does, he tells them that they have a great high priest in Jesus. And the high priest... He told us in Hebrews chapter 5 was to have compassion on those who had gone astray. That was the job of the high priest to show compassion that the sinning uh, saint could come back to God and they could go to the high priest and they could make the relationship right with God. But unfortunately, 
in this first century world, the high priest of their day was not a good representation of the office to which God had established with the first high priest, Aaron. No, no, no. The high priest of the day, listen, was now given by the Romans to the highest bidder. You could be a high priest just if you had the right amount of money. And in this, the middle of this, where the Jews have really no one to go to, the writer presents Jesus as our great high priest. For the one who's drifted, for the one who's departed, for even the one that has turned away, he says that Jesus is one who can sympathize with our weaknesses. He says that Jesus is one who you can boldly go to the throne of grace and receive mercy. God's favor is on you when you return from where you've drifted or departed. He tells us in chapter 5 that this priesthood is the order of Melchizedek. But before he expresses what this means, he takes the time to challenge their faith. Take a look as a review, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 10. Jesus, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we've much to say and hard to explain, since you become dull of hearing. Now, I wouldn't say in the 21st century that's the great way for a pastor to start a message. Since you people are so dull, I'm going to be real simple. That's exactly what he's saying. Now, I, Chet Lowe would never have said that to Calvary Chapel South Bay. I'm just reading what Scripture is reporting in. And what he's going to do is he's going to challenge them in three different ways. And I want you to see, as a reminder, the first challenge. He challenges them to grow up. He challenges them to grow up in the Word. Take a look at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. Solid food belongs to those who are full age or those that are mature. That is, by those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. He says, listen, I'd love to tell you about Melchizedek. I'd love to dig deep into some doctrine, but I can't tell you about Melchizedek because you've chosen to remain babies in Christ. You've chosen not to grow in faith. See, Scripture exhorts us, add to our faith. We read that in 2 Peter chapter 1. We're called to grow so that we can learn more about Christ and we can learn more about him so that we can live like him. We're called, the Bible says, to be conformed into his image. And the way that we understand his image is we get into his word. Take a look. It's Romans chapter 8 on the screen, verse 29. The Bible says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We've been called to be conformed into his image. Well, we've got to know what that image is in order to be conformed into it. 
Later in Romans chapter 12, Paul would say that this confirmation that needs to happen in our life is the renewing of our mind. In other words, which one of us would have come up with, okay, listen carefully, which one of us would have come up with one of the principles in Sermon on the Mount? How many of you would have come up with, hey, if your enemy forces you to go one mile, go two? That is the furthest thing from my mind. How many of you would have come up with, love your enemy? Huh? None of us would have. But as we learn about Christ, then we have an opportunity to renew our mind. In other words, change the way that we think and start thinking like Christ. When I was younger, I, when I started surfing, I wanted to learn everything there was about surfing. So I used to watch surfing videos I used to read Surfer Magazine. Sometimes I would go to the beach with local good surfers and I would just watch them surf. And I would see how they surfed. I would see, you know, sometimes I would go when there was a swell and we, in, it was in Florida, and I would watch pelicans and they would surf the waves. And I was like, I want to be just like a pelican. And the way they just so smoothly surfed the waves. I was studying everything there was about surfing. And the more I learned, the more I practiced what I learned so that I could become better. In fact, surfing became my identity. Surfing buddies became the people that I hung out with. In other words, they were my fellowship. It's what I love to talk about. So I would talk with other surfers about the swell that would come through. It actually became my lifestyle where I moved next to the beach. I wanted to surf as much as I could. In fact, I became a beach lifeguard in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, just for five years so that I could be out in the water in the morning and after work and not have to drive to the beach because I was already there. Now, yours may not have been surfing. Maybe yours was soap operas. <laughs> and you saw that beauty queen and you wanted to be like her. Maybe yours was football. And you studied football and you were in practice and you gave it everything you've got and you became big and buffed and everyone was afraid of you. And maybe yours is soccer. You're a little skinnier than a football player, but you're just as strong. <laughs> and let me say... Um, it's about time the United States starts calling soccer what the rest of the world calls soccer. Football. Just throwing it out there. Please don't email me. Maybe yours was ballet. And you wanted to become like a ballerina. And you like wore the little flu-flus or whatever they're called. What are they called? That's what I said, a flu-flu. <laughs> You wore the little dealio and you put the shoes on that like make your toes hurt for the rest of your life. And you did the whole cliches, like you did everything. <laughs> I st it's cliches. What is it? I said that. Listen, you've got your thing and I've got my thing. And you know what I'm talking about. Like, it became who you were. It was your identity. See, we're asked to do the same thing with our faith. You see, to be the representation of Christ on earth 
we've got to make him our identity. We've got to study. We've got to watch the videos, listen to the podcast. Like, we've got to conform ourselves by renewing our mind. And I need to let you know something. When I started surfing, I didn't ride 10-foot swells. I started out in 2-foot and 3-foot, 4-foot, 5-foot before I went out in 10-foot swells, much less, oh, something bigger than that. Can you imagine if I would have paddled out on a 10-foot swell, but I didn't know even how to surf or swim? And what the writer is trying to get across to the uh, uh, Hebrew church is, I would love to tell you about Melchizedek. You're not able to handle it because you're still swimming in the shallows. It's time to grow up. It's time to get deep into the doctrine of the Word of God. For example, we do baby dedications here at Calvary Chapel South Bay. Let me ask you a question. Why do we? Do you know? Do you know in Scripture why we do We celebrate communion here once a month at Calvary Chapel South Bay. Why do we do it once a month? Do you know? Do you have any idea in Scripture where it says that we should do it? We have home groups. Do you know why we have home groups scripturally? Do you know why we preach the Word of God? Do you know in Scripture where it says that we should? Do you realize that the traditions of the church have come from Scripture, but do you know why, or do you just blindly follow? He says, I'd love to tell you about Melchizedek, but you're not ready. You're swimming in the shallows, and you want me to throw you in the deep end. Here's the second reason. Take a look, if you would, Hebrews chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let's go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance, of dead works of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism, laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, of eternal judgment. Listen to what he's saying. The Jews, the Jewish Christians, had come up with a way to relieve a little bit of pressure. And in number two, he challenges them to no longer compromise their faith. And in chapter 6, he warns them that compromise will lead to apostasy. It will lead to you leaving Christ. You see, the Hebrew Christians had chosen to adopt a safe doctrine. They combined what the Jews believed, everything listed in verse 2, with what they believed, and they put it together. Hey, we believe the same thing. You believe in the resurrection? We believe in the resurrection. You believe in the foundation of repentance? We believe. You believe in doctrine of baptism? We believe. You believe in laying on of hands? We believe. These are things that we can agree on. Let's just all get along. Let's stop the pressure. Let's stop the persecution. Let's come up with a compromising, unifying kind of faith. It's like the world. The world loves, and so do Christians. The world wants to dig wells, and so do Christians. But the world doesn't want you to ever mention the name of Jesus. He's the dividing line. So what he's trying to get across is, I can't present to you the doctrine of Melchizedek if you're choosing to compromise in this way. You see, Jesus was called by God Jesus was called by God. He was called by God the high priest according 
to the order of Melchizedek. That's Hebrews chapter 5, verse 10. He was called by God to be the high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. But the Jewish Christians were holding on to Jewish tra- uh, traditions. By holding on to Jewish traditions, they would pre- pre- it would prevent them from receiving the truth of God that Jesus was the order of Melchizedek. He was not the order of Aaron or the order of the Levites. But if you hold on to Jewish traditions, then you're going to hold on to the order of Levi. And you won't understand the order of Melchizedek. How can I tell you about Melchizedek? If you're choosing to compromise. I find this to be true in the church. When I say be unequally yoked, I will meet some young person out there who tells me, well, I am missionary dating. And I know he's not saved, but he's got big biceps and I'm going to take him to Jesus. All the time. I will tell someone who's living in compromise a truth of the word of God and they can't receive it. Because they don't want to live by truth. They want to live by compromise. That's exactly why he says, I I can't tell you about Melchizedek yet. Because you're choosing to live in compromise. And we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. Because sometimes we can hold on to traditions. And we can believe that this tradition is truth. Do you know I went to a church? I went to a church. I'm not going to tell you where I went. I went to a church and I remember when my pastor preached that if you play a guitar in church, it's an instrument of hell. I went to that church. I believed it. So when I showed up at Calvary Chapel and there were three guitars on the stage, I thought those three people were going to hell in a handbasket. And now look at me. I got drums, electric guitars, bass guitars. Let me tell you something. Guitars may have been used by the devil to produce corrupt music, but God can redeem and use anything for his glory. So many people come up to me and say, Happy Halloween. And they say, Well, why do you have a harvest festival? And you know how I respond? This is the day the Lord has made, and we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. And what the world is going to mean for evil, I'm going to use it as a fishing net to attract people to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, church, when you're choosing to live in compromise or choosing to live by tradition, you may be be missing the greatest truth for your life. So he encourages the church in chapter 6 to patiently endure, and he even uses Abraham as an example. You remember, Abraham patiently endured, and he received the promise. He received all of what God had for him. Because endurance, listen, Christian, those of you who are ready to quit, those of you who the pressure is too much, you're facing too much persecution, and the problems at home are too hard. The Bible exhorts us that endurance is one of the evidences of our salvation. Christians don't quit. And by using the example of Abraham, he's actually prepping them 
He's introducing Abraham for the sake of using Abraham again in chapter 7. But most importantly, before he tells them about Melchizedek, there's a third thing that he does in Hebrews chapter 6. Take a look at verse 17 as we skip on through. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 17. Thus, God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. Most importantly, he says, he reminds them of the two great characteristics of God. The first is this, God does not change his counsel. What God says, he means. He doesn't need to change. And this is important. This is important because he uses a quote from Scripture that God is the one that ordained Jesus as priest forever. We're going to get there. That God is the one. God said that Jesus is our high priest in the order of Melchizedek. It's God who says that, and God don't change his counsel. You may not understand it. You may not comprehend it, but that doesn't mean that God's going to change his counsel just because you don't get it. Do you remember uh, uh, Nicodemus, Nick at night? You remember when Nicodemus came at night? And Jesus looks at him and goes, you got to be born again. And Nicodemus goes, you want me to go back inside my mother's womb and be born again? And you know what Jesus said? Oh, I'm sorry. Did you not understand that? Well, let me try to reemphasize or re-explain the whole thing. You know what Jesus said the second time? Hey, Nick, you got to be born again. Just because you don't get it doesn't mean I'm going to change my counsel because you lack understanding. And probably, Nick, you don't want to understand because you don't accept me as your Lord. God's counsel doesn't change. And when God says that Jesus is high priest in the order of Melchizedek, he ain't going to change it just because you don't understand it. But then he says God doesn't lie. There's two things. God don't change his counsel and God doesn't lie. This is also important. Because the writer lets us know that it was God who said that Jesus was high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, not Aaron. And if God said it, then it has to be true. So I've got to understand that if God says that that in Hebrews chapter 5, though I don't understand, though I don't comprehend, it's true. What truth are you not able to comprehend in your life? Someone's really hurt you. They've come against you. They may have even got you fired, and you're bitter. And God comes on the scene and says, forgive as God and Christ Jesus forgave you. Not her! (laughs) She's the devil. You don't forgive the devil, you burn him. You throw him in the lake of fire. That's what you do with the devil. You know why you're laughing? Because it hurts. Jesus says something like, Hey, 
Go the second mile. I'm tired, Jesus. Get up and go the second mile. You see, sometimes it's hard to accept the truth. But that doesn't change that God still wants you to live in it. And what he's trying to do with the listeners, he says, look, you got to grow up to receive this doctrine of Melchizedek. You, you, you got to understand something. You see, you got to realize that you can't compromise your faith and understand this truth. You won't accept it. And most importantly, you got to realize whatever God says is true. So though you may not be able to figure it out, that's your problem, not God's. Because God does not struggle with clarity. And now that he has prepped them with these three things, take a look, it's Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20. Where the forerunner has entered for us even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Matter-of-factly, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, speaking of Melchizedek, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now, consider how great this man was, speaking of Melchizedek, to whom even the patriarch Abraham, there he is again, gave a tenth of the spoils. Now, before we go any further, before we go any further, some of you are like, who's a what? Are you speaking tongues? Like, what is a Melchizedek? Like, I've never heard. We can call him Melky if you like. We can give him a nickname, okay? But let's take a look at Melchizedek. we got to understand the story of Melchizedek. And what I'd like to do, for those of you that are choosing now to dig deep in the Word, turn with me to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14, all the way back to the book of the beginnings. Now, what you're going to see on the screen is a map as I tell you a story. There are five kings that come over from Mesopotamia. And they have come over, and they want this little strip of land called Israel. Now, let me tell you why they want this little strip of land called Israel. Israel was a bridge between uh, uh, Mesopotamia and Egypt. All the goods that came up from Africa into Egypt had to go through Israel, cross the Fertile Crescent, and go over to uh, 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 the Iran-Iraq area. And so these five kings, if you take a look up at the north, they come over from the Fertile Crescent, and they are coming in to get this little piece of land. They want Israel. They want the corridor so that they can have a trade route to go up into their area and not be charged as much money in taxes. So they come in, five kings. They raid Sodom and Gomorrah and they take everything from Sodom and Gomorrah. Then they go a little further south and they take everything from Paran. Now they're going to go on the left side of the Dead Sea. That's that little lake that's in the center there. They're going to go on the west side of the Dead Sea and they're on their way back home. 
But as they're on their way back home, five kings, five nations, five armies. A little friend of Abraham runs to him and says, Abraham, I got bad news for you. This is all Genesis chapter 14. I'm summing it up for you in Chet language, okay? Hey, Abraham, I got bad news for you, brother. Your nephew was taken and his whole family and all of his goods. What do you mean my nephew was taken? (laughs) All right, everybody, saddle up, load them up and move them out. We're going to get Lot. And he picked up his 318 men, all the men in his house. And all 318 of those guys, that's number five over there, they go all the way north, and Abraham makes a plan. He says, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to attack them at night. Full-on terrorist activity, okay? We're going to attack them at night. And you're going to come from the east, and you're going to come from the west, and we're going to invade these five armies. And guess what? They won. They won. 318 fighting men defeat five nations, defeat five armies. Let me tell you something. Abraham is coming back from the north, and Abraham is the man. It's like, yes, I did it. Whoa. I mean, this is like Gideon's army defeating the Midianites. It's like, whoa, God, look what you did with Abraham's army. And in this moment, as Abraham is coming down with Lot and all of the spoils of war, Melchizedek enters the scene. Pick it up. Genesis chapter 14. Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. Then, as Abraham is thinking he's the man, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, Speaking of God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who's delivered your enemies into your hand. (laughs) So true. Though Abraham was great, Melchizedek was greater. And Hebrew let us know that his name means king of righteousness, and he was the king of Salem. Now, the king of Salem is ancient Jerusalem. And king of Salem means that he was the king of peace. Now, something should begin ticking in your mind. King of righteousness, king of peace. And already we begin to see his likeness to Christ. You see, because of the right living of Christ and his righteous sacrifice on the cross, we can have peace with God. The righteousness of Jesus gave us the peace with God. But not only this, where's Melchizedek from? I mean, there's no record of his life. There's no record of his death. In fact, in the Old Testament, these three verses are it. 
besides one little phrase in Psalm 110. These three verses are it. We don't know where he came from. We don't know when he was born. We don't know when he died. We don't even know if he died. And in a figurative sense, he's represented in the Bible as eternal. Just as Jesus is eternal. That's why the writer said he was made like the Son of God. He remains a priest continually. He's a type of Christ. He's a representation of Christ. And what I love about Melchizedek, when he comes out to Abraham, what does he bring? Bread and wine. Hello. That's like, like, if you don't hear God speaking in bread and wine, you see, immediately our minds should go to the Last Supper where Jesus institutes communion with bread and wine. His body was broken and his blood was shed. So at this point, I want to take a commercial break. Because you're, you're like going, wow. Okay. I see it in your face. It's like, Melchizedek. I don't know what his name is, but this is cool. Let me explain. Commercial break. Genesis is the book of the beginnings. Let me explain what that means. Genesis presents for us a table of contents of God's plan for the ages. Let me say that again. Genesis is like a table of contents of God's plan for the ages. We see the fall of man through Adam, who is in need of a savior. We see Adam covered by the skin of a lamb, covered in blood of a lamb, as he walked out into the world. We see Noah. Noah. We see in him the deliverance of God's people from wrath. We see in Joseph the betrayal of his brothers, just like Jesus was betrayed, but the ultimate plan of his resurrection where he was really the second in command, the king. Understand, now we see Melchizedek. And in the book of beginnings, we see the great theology of Jesus as our great high priest according to God's order, not Levi's. He's the priest of God most high. And what I love about this, God had established this order long before he established the order of Aaron. Abraham is hundreds of years before Moses. But God had established his priest. Now next week we're going to learn why he replaced the line of Aaron with the order of Melchizedek. But for this week, it's important for us to recognize God don't lie. And that God established this order. God had chosen Melchizedek to be the order that Jesus would come. And let me tell you why God did. Because God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. Amen? Amen. Now you say amen. amen. What if he says to you, I want you to go, to the trip to C- I want you to go on the trip to Cuba tomorrow? Amen. Not as many amens as the last one. 
What if he says to you, I want you to go to a Muslim country and I want you to give your life for, the, for me? Amen. We got three. God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. And we all said amen, but as soon as it becomes personal, we begin to wonder. As soon as he does something that we don't like. What do you mean from the order of Melchizedek? (laughs) It should be from the order of Aaron. That's the way he works. What if he decides to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants? Are you still amening? You see, some of us have a problem with that. When God does something that we don't understand or we don't agree with. Well, what do you mean I can't marry her? She's pretty. I like her. And my mama likes her. I want to marry her. That's who I want to marry. So, God, I'm going to marry her. I don't want you to marry her. God, you never do anything good for me. That's what's happening in the first church. There's a big theological question. Jesus can't be a high priest. He doesn't come from the order of Levi. You mean God's allowed to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants? There's a big, huge theological debate. Jesus is not from the tribe of Levi. How can you call him the great high priest? The high priest comes from the order of Levi. And God makes it clear because God doesn't lie and God doesn't change his counsel. He was never from the order of Levi. That had to be replaced and he came through the order of Melchizedek. I want you to note something else. Melchizedek blesses Abraham. Now let me tell you what the the blessing basically is. He basically says, since God is the possessor of all things... And since God delivered you from your enemy, he says, Abraham, you will never lack anything and no enemy can stand against you. That's what he basically says. You got God on your side and if God be for you, who can be against you? Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Are you ready? Because the amens are going to go down to three in about two seconds. But I want to stop for just a minute and help you understand this biblical word blessing. It's more than just saying something nice. Okay? Like, God bless you. That's really sweet. But that's not the biblical blessing that we're talking about. And if you go to the south, okay, listen. If you go to the south and they say, bless your little heart. They are politely calling you dumb. I want you to know that. Like when you go, when they go, bless your heart. And they'll sort of like, bless your heart. If you're from the South, we love you. I want you to know that. But when someone from the South says, bless your heart, they're they're calling you dumb. And they do it with a smile. (laughs) Bless your heart. They're like, you are so dumb. Bless your heart. That's not what the word means. Dallas Willard, theologian, he said this. Blessing is the projection of good into the life of another. It isn't just words. It's the actual putting forth of your will for the good of another. It's power words. You're saying something 
that will happen. I'm going to prove it to you. Deuteronomy chapter 28. Go there with me. Remember I told you there is such a book. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, no Hezekiah, okay? Deuteronomy chapter 28. Let's take a look. Verse 1. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1. Now it shall come to pass, Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. I'll do it. I got the power to do it. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, overwhelm you basically, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, the offspring of your flocks. In other words, God's saying, I can do this. Blessed be your basket of your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies, I can do it, who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. No wonder Abraham got blessed with 318 men against five armies. The Lord will command the blessing on you. If I say it, I can do it. In your storehouses and all to which you set your mind, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. A biblical blessing is not just nice words. It's words with power. It's pronouncing power into someone's life. Let me give an example of Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the persecuted. Now you might go, really? Blessed are when you're poor? Blessed when you're crying? Blessed when you're persecuted? I don't feel so blessed. Here's what Jesus was letting him know. Despite all you may go through in this life, I am blessing you with the surety of your salvation. You can be happy because you know you're getting the kingdom. It will come to pass. Don't let anything else convince you otherwise. No matter what you go through in this life, you're blessed because you're getting the kingdom. Now, from Melchizedek, he was ordained the priest by God. And he had the power to pronounce blessing over Abraham's life. Abraham, I'm telling you, this is what God has spoken to me. No one's going to be able to come against you, and you will lack nothing. And the proof is found in the rest of Abraham's life. The blessing had power. I don't know if you know this about me, but I got bit by a cobra when I was in Liberia. I was walking home, and as I took a step, he was in front of me, and I didn't see him, and I got a little on my foot. True story. I looked down, and I don't know if you know this, I hate snakes. Like, I hate snakes hate snake. Like I have the heebie-jeebies just even telling you this story. So the guy that I'm with picks me up. He carries me to the house and he goes, don't breathe heavy. You could die. I go, dude, I am freaking out right now. Like how can you tell me not to be breathing heavy? We get to the house. He starts like sucking my foot. My wife, God bless her, my wife comes out. She sees the two holes in my, my foot. She yells, 
and runs out of the house. It's like 10.39, she's gone. She's gone for 45 minutes. I don't know what happened. While she's gone, I wake up all my children. And I start blessing them. You're going to be a pastor one day. And I believe that you're anointed. And I bless you with a large family. I thought I was going to die. So I thought, I'm going to do the whole Jacob thing. I'm going to bless you. I'm, going to, like, I'm like, okay, we're going to do Genesis right now. Like, you are blessed. You'll be rich. <laughs> Take care of your mother. Like, the whole deal. <laughs> Andrea comes back 45 minutes later. I finished blessing everybody. I think I'm going to die. She comes back with a French nurse. She can't speak English. She's reading a book. And she looks at me and she goes, do you feel this? And I said, oh, yes, I've been feeling that for a long time. She turned the page and she went, oh. She goes, do you feel this? And I said, yes, I really feel that. She went, oh. She closed her book and she left. I looked at Andrea. She laid her hands and prayed for me. Now, the end of the story is I lived. Okay, I want you to know, I lived. Okay, like, it's a great end of a story. I lived. Hallelujah. Here I am, okay? Some of you are like, we know you lived. <laughs> I've told that story before, and someone, I didn't get to the end, and someone literally said to me, now what happened? I thought I was going to glory, so I put power in my words to bless my family. And as soon as he was blessed, what did Abraham do? What do I got? I got the spoils. Hey, everyone, gather it all up. Give Melchizedek 10%. Now, this is quite different than the order of Levi. Go back with me to Hebrews. I want you to see it. Abraham spontaneously gave 10% of his spoils. But I want you to see verse 5, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 5. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law. That is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he, who is, uh, but he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now, I told you we were going to dig a little bit deep, but you need to understand what's happening in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 5. The brothers of Levi were commanded by the law to give Levi, their brother, money. And they were commanded as brothers to give Levi money to do the work of the ministry. God had to put it in the law, give Levi, your brother, money. Let me tell you why. Because Levi was their brother. And the 11 brothers were not ever going to come to an agreement to say, we're going to pay Levi to be our minister. They were brothers. There was nothing voluntary about the 10%. It was a commandment of God. But the situation with Abraham was so much different with Melchizedek. As soon as he was blessed of God, of, by God, by Melchizedek, Abraham goes, quick, 10%. Let's give it to him. Let's give him the tithe. Let's give him the best of what we've got right now 
Because we've been blessed. No one told Abraham to do it. He did it spontaneously from his heart because he recognized the greatness of this man. Abraham recognized that Melchizedek was great. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is pointing out. Look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 7. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. That's the point. Melchizedek is better than Abraham, which means he's better than Levi because Levi was inside of Abraham. Take a look what he says at verse 8. Here, mortal men receive tithes. But there, speaking of Melchizedek, he receives them of who it is witness that he lives. In other words, the Bible doesn't tell us when he lived or died. He plays the part of, uh, of an eternal being. Verse 9. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. So he's using an illustration because Levi was not born yet, but he was in Abraham, that Levi paid tithes, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Gang, this is important because the writer is showing them that Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus is the one you can go to. You don't have to run to the temple. You don't have to say ten Hail Marys. Amen? Got a little quiet. Jesus is the one that can make your relationship with God right when you've drifted or departed. Jesus is the one who will show you the compassion when you need it. This is good news for the Hebrew Christians where the temple priesthood was corrupt and everything but compassionate. Now remember, I told you there was a great theological debate at the time. How can Jesus be high priest since he's the tribe of Judah and not the tribe of Levi? This deep theological argument answers that question. There we're struggling with, wait a second, we don't understand this. How can he be high priest and he's not from Levi? And the Holy Spirit gives the answer. And this is very important for us today. Have you ever been sharing the gospel with someone and they throw out like a deep theological question and you can't answer it? I mean, if God is so good, why is there evil in the world? And if he's all powerful, why doesn't he end it? You ever gotten that one? What about this one? What about all the starving children around the world? And they throw out these deep theological questions. I need to let you know something. Just because you don't know the answer doesn't mean that God doesn't. You don't need to defend God. You just need to preach the gospel. And whenever those questions come, I always say I'm not going to defend God. And I may not know your answer, but God knows your answer. And now I'm asking about you. When you die, do you go to heaven or hell? Church, it's time to grow up. It's time to find those answers instead of simply be spoon-fed from the pulpit. That was the first challenge. 
said, listen, you want to understand Melchizedek? You've got, to get, you've got to grow deep. You've got to be in the Word. He says, it's time no longer to compromise. You want to understand this thing about Melchizedek. You've got to make your stand for the gospel instead of complacently live in a shared truth. You've got to preach Jesus, not just God is love. But Jesus Christ died for you. That was the first challenge, second challenge. But it's also time to trust God's counsel. It doesn't change, and God don't lie. You may not be confused. You may be confused, but God isn't. You may not understand some deep theological truth. That's on you to discover because the answer is found in the truth. Because God don't lie. Let me give you an example. Teenager, listen to me. Bad company corrupts good morals. Truth in the Bible. No, it doesn't. I can be friends with these people. All right, I give you a year. Come back to me in a year. I'll see you. God, don't lie. I guarantee bad company will corrupt good morals. Because everything God says is true. Now, there's one last topic before I say goodnight. I'm not even gone an hour yet, so relax. (laughs) There's one last topic I can't leave behind. Did you notice on Sunday, I didn't thank you for giving? And I didn't thank you for giving because many of you invited people for the first time after the picnic to come to the church. And they were here. And I didn't want any of those new people to be driving home with you and go, you see, it's all about money. So this Sunday, I didn't mention anything about your giving. Let me tell you why. Because I knew it was coming today. Let the church say amen. Amen. No, truly, I, I didn't want to cause anything to prevent you from sharing the gospel on the way home. Abraham honored Melchizedek with a tithe. Like Melchizedek, Jesus has met you with his broken body and his shed blood. He's met you with the bread and the wine. Like Melchizedek, Jesus has blessed you with abundant and eternal life. Have you responded like Abraham? to our great high priest and given the tithe. You see, there's another great debate in Christian circles today. And the debate is, the tithe doesn't seem to be taught in the New Testament. It's very true. So you have the liberal thinkers... And they come up with an excuse. What could I possibly give to the king of kings so I'm not going to give anything? Then you have the legalistic people that go, you better give your 10%, pay your tithe. In fact, I went to a church in Liberia where when it was tithe time, they all shouted, tithe time! And then they would lick their dollars, put it on their forehead and dance down to the aisle and then put it in a box. I didn't have a dollar on me. All I had was a coin. It wouldn't stick on my head. 
Can you imagine if we did that at South Bay? You had to put five bucks on your forehead and come down. Think about the legalism involved with you better pay your tithe. Well, the truth is Jesus addresses the tithe. Matthew 23, verse 23, take a look. He's speaking to the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. He says, pay your tithe and be kind. Now, many will say, well, he was speaking to the Jewish people who were under the law. Granted, I received that argument. Take a look at what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 16.2, speaking to the church. He says this. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there may be no collections when I come. This word prosper, it's the word your portion. Give as you've been given. Now, with the biblical definition of blessing, we're blessed by God with a portion, and we're given the power to bless others because of his blessing. In fact, Scripture says it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Yet, we need to remember something. We need to remember that Abraham was before the law of Moses, before the 10%. And Abraham illustrates how we respond to our great high priest who has given his life for us. Abraham gave from the spoils. And let me tell you what this word means. He gave from the top. He gave the best of the best. He didn't divide it out and then say, whatever's left, I'll give to God. He gave from the top. He gave 10%, and I believe that's the starting point. However, I personally believe the reason the New Testament does not emphasize the tithes, the tithe, is because generosity should be our spontaneous response to our great high priest. There shouldn't even be like a wonder. He's met me with his broken body and blood. What do I got to give? My life? My money? My time? My treasure? What do you want, Lord? My testimony? It's all yours. And I believe that the New Testament doesn't emphasize the tithe because Abraham has set an example for us. He generously, Jesus Christ generously gave his life and we respond in like manner. Let me prove it to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. In other words, you can't outgive God. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. I remember talking to someone, he came up to me and says, Now, I don't give. And I go, well, Why don't you give? He goes, Because I'm never cheerful. 
I'm not kidding. So you know what I said to him? Be obedient and ask God to change your attitude. Where was I? And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. Sounds a little bit like Melchizedek. And God is able to bless you because he possesses all things, heaven and earth. He's able to make all grace come toward you. Sounds just like Melchizedek. And he's got the power in his word. So when he says, I can bless you for what you give, let me tell you, God can do it. That you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Sounds a lot like Melchizedek's blessing, doesn't it? And I wonder if we'd become like Abraham and from our hearts spontaneously pour out. She'll probably kill me for saying this story, but it's okay. Single mom in our church. Struggling to make it. She heard a fellow story about a woman in Liberia, single mom, who had some needs. And she couldn't make the retreat, so the church reimbursed her for her retreat that she wasn't able to make. She came up to me and she said, Pastor Chet, I'm struggling, but the Lord has told me to give this whole check to a fellow so that he can bless that single mom. I went home and I cried. She's Abraham. What can I give? I've been blessed by God. I wonder if that can become each of our testimonies. I'm not just the pastor of this church. I attend this church. And Andre and I, we don't just ask or teach the word of God for you to give. We pray to respond like Abraham and spontaneously from our heart give what we have been portioned to bless. I pray you join us. Because we raised nine kids and we never had a want. And pastors don't make a lot of money. Our Father, I come before you in Jesus' name. Thank you for Abraham's example. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that if we choose to respond like Abraham, (laughs) your word promises all grace abounds. Keep us faithful because you don't lie and your counsel don't change. We may struggle with that truth. We may struggle with a tithe or even a generous gift. But you don't lie. 
and your counsel doesn't change. So Lord, grow us up. Forgive us for compromise. Help us to live according to your word. All of us. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.